0: I tell you, I, I don't know about you, but when you walk through some of the times of worship like we just did, when you have the opportunity of hearing the, uh, the songs that, by, by the way, the, the insanely talented people on this stage, but, but in the midst of that, you recognize that as great as this is, that it's like nothing in comparison to what eternity is going to be like. Man, that's encouraging, isn't it? Like, you guys have been paying attention, like this world is messed up, right? You know that. And when you recognize how messed up this world and how perfect eternity is, and you sit back and you say, thank you, God, for Your holy. And today, that's what we've been talking about. Now, we've been walking through the book of Revelation. I know we have a lot of new people in the room, and a lot of guests that are here with us today. That's awesome. Man, we are so thrilled to have you here. But today, we actually come to the, the almost ending of a sermon series that we started back in the very beginning of June, of walking through the book of Revelation verse by verse, all the way through from Revelation chapter 1, all the way today to Revelation chapter 22. And as we walk through, have walked through this, this incredible book, we have seen a lot of great pictures of what God has in store. Now, before we jump into this last passage, and before we have the opportunity of like talking about like the end of the beginning, which by the way is what I've entitled this message today, the end of the beginning. That's not a typo. It's not supposed to be the beginning of the end. It's the end of the beginning. Before we do that, I want to just encourage you and let you know like, where we're going in the next couple of weeks. So next Sunday, we're going to come together and we're going to take everything we've talked about in the book of Revelation, but we're also going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to, with literally visuals on the back wall, we're going to walk through a timeline of God's prophetic timeline of walking through, like when God created the heavens and the earth, all the way to the time of eternity, putting all of it in a timeline, pulling all of it in pictures so that you can see. Uh, you can take pictures of those graphics so you can have a kind of a clear understanding of a, in, in, a, in one big capsule of everything we've talked about over the last uh, three months and, and have a picture of kind of what we can expect in the days to come. So that's next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, we're starting a new sermon series for the fall. We've entitled this sermon series, Jesus First. Jesus First. And as we've entitled this sermon series, Jesus First, we're going to be covering four books in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. When you come in on that first Sunday in September, we're going to have a book much like this one of the book of Revelation that will have all four of those books contained within the pages of that book. It's a journal that you'll be able to walk through all the way up to the end of November as we walk through these four books. Now, we're going to cover here on Sunday mornings Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, And then in our groups, all through our church, we're going to be walking through the book of Ephesians, and that starts on August 29th. And so, I do encourage you to connect with some of these group leaders after the service today so that you'll have the opportunity of staying on track with us for the entire fall as we go through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and learn what it means to put Jesus first in everything. And so that is next week, and then the following week, the first Sunday in September, as we begin walking through. But today we come to the last chapter of the book of Revelation. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 22. And as you're turning there in Revelation chapter 22, for some of you who uh, have not been with us all summer, maybe this is your first Sunday with us, I encourage you, you can go and download our church app on the google play store or the app store on the iphone and and you can download my trbc and all the sermon notes from the entire summer are there you can also go to trbc.org slash watch and there you'll be able to go back if you want to and watch all the sermons so you can kind of get you know a picture we've covered the entire book of revelation of what it looks like what you know what revelation really means and what we can look forward to But we're also going to put on the back wall here just in a moment, I'm going to walk through kind of a a recap of what we've talked about. And so maybe you want to get your phones out and take pictures of of what's going to be on the screen just in a quick recap of, of, of what we've looked at. Because we started back in Revelation chapter 1 when we were introduced to this this idea that the apostle John, the last living apostle, had an opportunity of encountering an angel who was sent from Christ, and Jesus gave him a very clear picture, a revelation of what the future was going to look like. He gave John the vision for the churches that were there, the plans for eternity. We moved into chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation where we heard seven messages for seven different churches that existed in Asia Minor back 2,000 years ago. And while we read those stories and we heard the picture, we heard the message that Jesus had for John for those seven churches, we recognized the correlation between those churches that were real churches and our churches today. And the same issues, the same problems, the same challenges, the same conflicts, the same sin that was present then is present now, and we learned a lot about how we can deal with those things in our time today, in this, this time before the 70th week of Daniel, which we're going to talk about next week. We then moved into chapters 4 and 7 where Jesus begins to unveil the future plan for eternity. We were ushered into the chapter 4, into the throne room of God, and we had the opportunity of seeing a vision, a picture of what the throne room looks like as, as God was seated there at the center with, with the Lamb, Jesus there in His midst, the Spirit of God there in His midst, the 24 elders surrounding and the, the multitudes that were gathered there and, and just got a, a little bit of a glimpse of how amazing that picture must be. But then, as we were standing in the throne room of God, we began to see as, as the judgment began to unfold on this earth. As we begin to walk through the seven years of tribulation, the present uh, idea of what will be in that seven years when, when, when the judgment of God begins to be unveiled and unleashed on this earth. We talked about the seven, uh, the seven seals of judgment that were unveiled. We then moved into chapters 8 through 10 and talked about the seven trumpets of judgment. We talked about how the, that continuation and that seven years of tribulation, again, as God judged this earth, as, as the Antichrist was beginning to rise, as Satan was beginning to unfold what he believed to be was his plan, even though knowing that he would lose in the end. We then moved to chapters 11 and 12. We're introduced to two witnesses that began at the beginning of the seven years tribulation all the way up to the three and a half year point, the midpoint of the tribulation that they preached the gospel and people came to know Christ. But then at that midpoint of the tribulation, the antichrist slaughtered those two witnesses and their bodies laid in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days and then miraculously again by the power and the sovereignty of God, they they were resurrected there and they ascended into heaven. We talked about how the, the, the Antichrist began to, to, to persecute the church and, and breaking his, his covenant with Israel, and we began to see what that looked like. We then moved into chapters 13 where we began seeing the beast of the sea, which is the Antichrist, the beast of the earth, with earth which was the false prophet, and how they began in the last three and a half years of the tribulation, which is called the Great Tribulation period, as they began to really destroy everything that was on the planet and as they began to make people take the mark of the beast, the, the, that ideal on their forehead or on their hand, and, and then if they did not, they were, they were killed, and we saw all of the different things that were taking place. We then moved into uh, chapter 14 where Jesus began lining up the winning team. And we talked about, while we talked about the seven seals and the seven trumpets, now we're introduced to seven different characters that are part of this story of the great tribulation period. We then moved to chapters 15 and 16 where we saw the seven bowls of judgment, the final bowls of judgment that would be poured out on the earth. In chapters 17 and 18 we were introduced to the woman and the beast and the fall of great Babylon. We began to see exactly what all of that looked like as we saw how, again, we started getting towards the end of the time. And then we moved into chapters 19 and 20 of the second coming of Christ and the final judgment. In chapter 21, last week we began to see this place of eternity. This place that God had prepared for us, that Jesus talked about in John chapter 14 when He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And then today, we come to chapter 22, and again, it's the end of the beginning. And what's the beginning? It's the beginning of all eternity. And the reason it's the beginning is because there will be no end of this beginning. And that is what God has prepared for all of us who have come to that realization that God loves us, that Christ died for us, that He was buried, and that He rose again. Now, I mentioned last week that there's a clear and a direct correlation between the first two chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we read the story of how God created the heavens and the earth. He created the Garden of Eden. He created all the the beasts of the earth and the, 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 the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea. He created everything that there was, and He created it in perfection in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then we know in Genesis chapter 3 that Satan, the serpent, came and he tempted Adam and Eve into sin, and sin entered into the world. And because sin entered into the world, the death entered into the world. And what God created in chapters 1 and 2 as perfection now, we're not perfect anymore. But yet in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where there was perfection and Satan didn't didn't exist, then we move to Revelation chapter 21 and 22 where again perfection is back on the table. Satan is no longer in the picture and exactly what God created for the beginning to look like, now we come to these last moments of this earth that we stand on. And the new heaven and the new earth now have come. The new Jerusalem has descended, as we talked last week, and now here we are in the last two chapters of Revelation, and guess where we are? We're right back in perfection again. And in fact, that is exactly where we start today. It's exactly what Revelation chapter 22, this passage begins. It's kind of a a pickup, a, a carryover of what we looked at in the last couple of verses there of chapter 21, but here we move into this idea of this, this idea of the reality of eternity. And the imminency and the supremacy of Christ. Look what it says in verses 1 and 2. Follow along in your Bibles, on your phone, or maybe in your journal, whatever it might be. But in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 22, it says this. And John speaking, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, on the either, either side of the river, were the, was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." Now here in these first two verses, it sounds a little bit like Genesis, doesn't it? Because let me me read it for you. Back in Genesis chapter 1, here's what it says. Or chapter 2, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And so you can see the correlation between the two of Revelation chapter 22 and Genesis chapter 2, that there's this place of perfection, and that the trees of life were there. And that this water there, this river, and literally the picture that's given here in Revelation chapter 22 is that the river was running right down the center of the street. And this was not a flood, this was not like the, you know, the sewers backing up or the, you know, the water systems backing up. Like Literally, this is God designed that right in the middle of this incredible city that we talked about last week, you have these beautiful trees, these lush lawns, and the river that runs right down through the middle of it. If you remember last week, we talked about what that new Jerusalem was going to look like. And we talked about all the different precious stones, the precious jewels, and, and how the gold and the diamonds and the, the jasper, all the different things, the pearls, the, the idea of what that place looked like. And here now we're given a picture of kind of the organic elements of what the new Jerusalem, what the new heaven, the new earth look like. And man, this sounds like a pretty great place to be. And here we get this picture of Eden revisited. Like like what God intended in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is what we will have the opportunity, the privilege of spending eternity in. Now understand, like oftentimes when we read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and we get this picture of the Garden of Eden, a place of perfection, and we kind of think, man, man wouldn't it be cool to actually live there? Like, wouldn't it have been awesome if, like, no sin had entered and we would be able to actually be where Adam and Eve were for that brief period of time, however long that, like, wouldn't that be cool that we could be there? You can, because that is exactly what God has in store for us, and it's even better than the original Eden, because there's no possibility of sin or Satan in this place. Now, when you read through this passage of verses 1 and 2, you get a couple of statements here, you get this picture of the water of life. Now you remember back in Genesis, there was the idea that there was a river there. And that river was there to water the garden. But there's one thing that is not described in the river in Genesis that here in Revelation, this river is depicted as. Here it's depicted as the water of life. Why? What's the difference between Genesis and Revelation? Here's the difference: Jesus. We've heard many places in Scripture, Jesus talks about if you're thirsty, come to Him and He would, He would provide to them the, the living water. And here we're given the picture like that. that's exactly what this river running right down the center of the street, right down in the middle of this great city, is going to be the water of life. Why? Because we will forever be in the presence of Christ. That He will be right there in the midst. It then goes on to talk about the tree of life. Now this is good news. Now listen, now, I want you to hear me. If you've missed like everything else I've said so far, don't miss this. The tree of life, it says this, that the tree of life will bear fruit. And it will bear fruit 12 times a year. Each month, a different type of fruit. Now, you know what that means? This is the good news. It means in heaven, we're actually going to eat. (laughs) Isn't that good news? Now, let, let me take it a little step further. We're going to eat... And because there's no, like, desecration of the bodies there, because our, we have a new body, right, in a new heaven, and a new earth, a new Jerusalem, like, and, and that we will not have to worry about diets ever again. Can I get an amen? We'll never have to worry about diets, we'll never have to worry about working out, we'll never have to worry about watching calories, we'll never have to worry about like watching carbs, thank God. This morning, I came in, I got here really like 5 o'clock this morning, but then a little while later, Kevin Foster, who's seated somewhere right over here, Kevin where you are? Kevin, I don't want you, I want your wife. Pam, stand up, real quick. Pam, stand up. This is important, stand up. This is important. A lot of people watch. So, Pam this morning sent me, and Kevin brought it to me. two pans of Sister Schubert's rolls before church. Can we give her an amen? And they're hidden, so you're not getting them. Thank you, Pam. I appreciate that. That's very kind. And what's cool is we can eat all the Sister Schubert's rolls that we want, and we will not gain weight. How cool will that be? Now, I do have some bad news. So, the good news is we're going to eat in heaven. But I want to give you some bad news, because if we look back in Genesis and this idea of the tree of life that is referenced there and also here, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, the King James Version says this. Now, I'm glad that, like a lot of other translations, have not translated it this way, but the King James Version says this, "'And God said, behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree.' in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so." Here's the bad news, it's possible that in heaven we'll all be vegetarians. We should do an invitation right now for people to come and weep and wail at the altar. Now, I listen, I'm not sure what the translations look like, and I'm not sure what it's going to be like, but here's what I do know. If for some reason, and God's smarter than me, if for some reason God has chosen for heaven to be a vegetarian place, I'm sure that the fruit there is going to taste like ribeye and filet mignon. That's what I'm counting on, that's what I'm believing, so let it be written, so let it be done. That's my hope, that's my prayer. And so, so this place is a place where we will forever be, and it will be a place of eternity that will blow our minds. It goes on to talk about leaves there on the tree of life that, that, that actually provide healing for the nations. Like, what does that look like? I don't really know. J. Vernon McGee believes the idea there is that the, the, the earth dwellers at that time, and I'm going to talk about the church, because remember, the church now has been raptured at the beginning of the seven year tribulation, but those who were there during the tribulation, those born during the thousand year tribulation, reign of Christ on this earth as earth dwellers that are there, that perhaps their bodies will be different than our bodies because our bodies will be like Christ. and J. Vernon McGee suggests that maybe it's because that, that, that their bodies will be different, that maybe these leaves that provide healing that they indicate some healing properties that maybe it would be that, that that's how they continue to to continue to rejuvenate their bodies. I don't really know, but I do know this like the leaves of the tree of life will give us everything that we could possibly ever need or want. Harold Wilmington says it this way, in the new Jerusalem will be the tree of life, off limits to people since Eden, but now available for nourishment and healing. The city's glorious light will proceed not from the sun, but from the very person of God himself. It's starting to sound again pretty good, isn't it? Eden revisited, which by the way, takes us to the next verse, which gives us the idea of perfection defined. In verses 3 and following, it says, And there shall be no more curse. That means no more sin. No more sin. No more sinful nature. No more uh, death and no more destruction. No more evil in this world. There'll be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And then He said to me, These words are faithful and true. And God takes this opportunity through the angel delivering this revelation to John. He says, Hell, listen, understand, hey, write these things down and get it exactly the way that I'm saying it because these words are true. No sin will ever be present again. Warren Wearsby says it this way As we seek to serve the Lord here on earth, we are constantly handicapped by sin and weakness. But all hindrances will be gone when we get to glory. Perfect service in a perfect environment. But as we've read this passage a moment ago, we can't lose sight of one very important statement that's given. One very important statement of the words that I just read in verses 3 through 6. No more curse, the throne of God, the Lamb shall be in it. But listen to what it says in verse 4. And they shall see His face. Now that's a statement that you can easily smooth right over and move right past and not really pick up on and not really catch. But you have to go back to Exodus chapter 33 verse 20 to understand the meaning, the the power in this statement found in Revelation chapter 22 verse 4. Because in Exodus chapter 33 verse 20, God himself said this, no one can look at my face because if you were to look at me, you would die. In other words, that you would not have the opportunity or the privilege of seeing the face of God because no man can see Him and live, and yet now here God says in this new place in all of eternity, and it says, and we shall see His face for all of eternity. You talk about holy, 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 you talk about worship, you talk about worship service, like it's going to go beyond anything you can possibly imagine, and that's what God has in store for us, a place where no darkness exists. We talked about it a little bit last week. This passage reiterates it here, that because Christ is in the midst, because God is in the midst, we do not need lamps. You will not need headlights. You will not need flashlights. You will not need candles when the power goes out. You will not need to figure out how to turn the light switch on in the middle of the night so you don't step on the heavenly Legos. You will not have to do any of that kind of stuff ever again. Why? Because, because God is there. There is no night. Darkness does not exist. Pretty cool. Pretty amazing idea of what God has prepared for us. But let's keep moving through and see again this picture. We come to verse 6 and we have this idea of now of eternity reimagined. It says, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. We read that a moment ago. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which I was, must shortly take place. Verse 7, behold, I am coming quickly, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Kind of a beatitude, kind of put right here in the last chapter of Revelation. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, I saw and I heard, the first television program ever I heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them. excuse me I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things and then he said to me see that you do not do that for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book and then he makes this declaration worship God and you can infer right after that statement worship God you can refer to you can infer this worship God alone no other man no other person, the angel says, oh, no, 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 Get, get up, don't, don't, don't bow down to me. Don't, don't bow down to, I'm just a servant, just like you. Worship God and God alone. While this is a picture of what eternity looks like, it's a pretty good lesson for today. Quit worshiping man. Quit worshiping people on this earth. Quit worshiping Taylor Swift. Quit worshiping the people that you listen to or that you read or that you watch. Like, quit worshiping people here. They are nothing but servants like all of us. There is one God and one God alone, and he alone is to be worshiped. J. Vernon McGee said this, the Lord Jesus puts his own seal upon this book. These words are faithful and true, means that no man is to trifle with them by spiritualizing them or reducing them to meaningless symbol. Our Lord is talking about reality. At the beginning of this book, there was a blessing pronounced upon those who read and hear and keep these words. That's Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. But in conclusion, the Lord Jesus repeats the blessing upon those who keep these words. This is a book not to merely satisfy the curiosity of the natural man, but to live and act upon this is a picture of what we have here this is how we live now in light of what will be then and so this is the picture of of what God ushers us into and brings us into the prophecy of this book Kendall easily said it this way about this idea of worshiping no one but God it says his comments that follow emphasize plainly the difference between creature and creator We must never be allowed to forget the infinite gulf between God and that which he made, no matter how splendid. The people of God are his servants, literally slaves, a term that John uses often along with saints as a preferred designation for Christians. Servants emphasizes their deeds, saints, their character. Now, however, for only this time in Revelation, an angel is called a servant of God. Both the holy angels and the redeemed humanity exist to serve their creator. You want to know what your purpose in life is? You want to realize what you're here to do? You are here to worship our Creator, and it is Creator God. We live in a culture today where people worship all kinds of things. They worship this earth. They worship humanity. They worship sex. They worship so many other things that are present on this in this present day, in this age. Understand this, like, like literally our purpose in life is this, is to bring worship to Christ and Christ alone. And if you figure that out, the sooner that you figure that out, the better your life will be. It goes on to say in verses 10 and following, it shows us that our efforts are rewarded by the only one worthy. And he said to me, do not seal the words of this prophecy, this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Once again, we hear that statement, Alpha and Omega. We've seen that several times throughout. And here we're given this picture, and he's told John, he's like, don't keep this prophecy secret. And that's a different story than we get in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. And we're going to talk a little bit about this next week, because Daniel was told, hey, seal this prophecy and hold this prophecy. Why? Because it wasn't for then. It wasn't for that time. But here now, it's like, do not seal the words of this prophecy, for the time is at hand. It is close. Now, he says some interesting statements here. He talks about this idea of uh, of let the unjust continue to be unjust, the filthy let them continue to be filthy, and that's a picture of this, is that when you choose to run from Christ and not to believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, and you continue to walk that path, that all that it will do is lead you to the point where you get worse and worse and worse, and you will become the picture of evil incarnate, of a life that has lived completely away from God, but you let the holy remain holy, let the righteous be righteous still. Why? Because the more that we follow after Christ, the more we become like Him. Danny Aiken says this because the time is near a time is coming when the opportunity to respond to the gospel and the word of God will be no more so don't seal this prophecy he was told Leon Morris said this he probably means that the Lord's coming will be so swift that there will be no time for change as they are at the moment so the Lord will find them Leon Morris says something here that's a frightening reality That when you're running from Christ, when you're running with the world, when you're living a life that is counter to what God wants you to live, the idea that's given here, I'm coming quickly three times in this passage in Revelation chapter 22, the picture is given that it will happen so suddenly and so quickly, and that maybe it will happen so quickly that you will be found just as you are. And the angel is making the statement here, make sure that as you are, is like Him because time is short and there may not be a time to change. This passage is a clear picture of what that looks like. We continue to read and we see this idea, this whole picture, this understanding that, as the Alpha and the Omega repeated in verse 13 that all this is because it's all about Jesus. Bless, verse 14, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city but now listen to this but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie just as i told you last week this is not a, an exhaustive list of those who will be kept out of heaven for eternity It is simply a picture, a a descriptor of, an idea of what running from Christ here looks like and what uh, this, this symbol here of those who will not be in, their names will not be written in the book of life because they've not trusted and believed in Christ. It says outsider dogs. Now, cat lovers out there, don't get excited. It's not saying there won't be dogs in heaven. I'm not saying that. It's not saying that. Back in those days, dogs were looked at as, as filthy animals. They were, you know, they were scavengers. They were not looked at the way that we look at dogs. Of course, I've got three dogs at home and two of them I really like. Uh, but the idea that we get here is, is that this, this symbolism of, hey, if you don't trust Christ, you're going to be kept outside of this eternity with Christ, you'll be forever in the lake of fires we talked about last week. He goes on to say, the next verse, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And here, Jesus, in the last chapter of Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter uh, the Revelation, the last chapter of the entire Bible, and he reminds us that he's the root and the offspring of David, which is a picture of the Old Testament. He's the bright morning star. That because of Christ, he is a, a picture of the glimpse of, of of the hope that comes through the New Testament, and we're given this reminder of the salvation that comes through Christ and Christ alone. And then, as any good preacher would do, this chapter and this book and the entire Bible comes to the end. And it transitions into an invitation. And look what it says in verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say come, and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. He who testifies to these things, says, surely I am coming quickly. Third time in this passage. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. An invitation three times in this passage that I just read to you from verses 17 and following, the statement is, come. He's reminding us again, this was given 2,000 years ago, a statement that was delivered to John, delivered to the churches, delivered to the church, delivered to you and to me, all the way up to the moment that we are raptured from this earth, that we have the opportunity of responding to this invitation of come. That we have an opportunity to respond to the invitation that Jesus has offered when He stretched His arms out on the cross and He died for our sins and was buried and rose again three days later, and the Spirit of God is crying out to all of humanity, all of mankind, every nation on the face of the earth, come, because Jesus will come quickly. Come, because you may not have time or it might be too late and I love how God through his Holy Spirit ends this incredible book called the Bible with a reminder of the unmerited favor of God the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ to you all. And then the exclamation point put at the end of the sentence Amen. So be it. So here's the question for you today Can everything that we've read about in this scripture, in this passage, and in this entire book of Revelation that talks about the people who've trusted and believed in Christ, can the words so be it be said? in relationship to your life? David Jeremiah says this, all human beings are born with an empty place in their lives that can only be filled with what John calls the water of life. Most people try to quench that thirst with pleasure and accomplishment, possessions, human relationships or or power, but in time they see that those things are not satisfying. As Solomon said, after trying wealth and sex and power and glory, it is all meaningless vanity. When people realize that nothing on earth will satisfy their longing, they begin to identify their thirst. That is when they're poised to come to Christ. They realize that they are thirsty and He is not. In other words, the fullness of life is found in Christ and Christ alone. Danny Akin said it this way, and I love the words that he gives here about this last chapter in Revelation. Revelation. God's written word comes to an end. And so, what we find here is of utmost importance to God. It also should be of utmost importance to us. Two themes are dominant the reliability and authenticity of the book, and the imminence of the end. So, what does that mean in layman's terms? It means this that the word of God. Is inspired, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is faithful, and it is true. That everything God's word says you can count on. And His return is imminent. So, how do we say that for you and me? Time is short. What have you done with Christ? Let's pray. Father, today we are overwhelmed again because we do not deserve your presence. We are reminded here in Revelation chapter 22 of this incredible place that you've prepared for us, a place that we cannot ever deserve, that we can never earn, that we can never work towards and accomplish the right to be there. And yet you've given it freely, as this passage that we've read says. You tell us to come to you, Lord Jesus, to respond to the invitation, the call, that Christ died, that he was buried and he rose again. And as Romans chapter 10 so eloquently puts it, that if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God, right now in this moment, for those in this room or watching or listening who have not responded to that call, let this be the moment. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. I couldn't say it better then God's Word has already said it. And so we come to a moment of decision. A moment of decision after a book that is all about telling the story of the moment of decision. And today I know there are like thousands of people in this room and many, many thousands more watching, listening. And I know that in any room, in any place, in any gathering this size, that there are people in our midst who they might have been walking a a decent path. They might have been walking like a life that, you know, is, is upstanding and you've been doing good stuff and you've been living right and you've been trying to help people and you've been trying to, you know, give back and you've been trying to live by the golden rule. Unfortunately, I believe that hell will be full of people who really did a good job of living by the golden rule. Because the Bible doesn't tell us that to get to heaven, we have to live by the golden rule. The Bible says this, we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died and rose again. We must turn from that sin of rejecting Christ and we must believe. And today we're reminded once again like the importance of that because literally we get to a place where there will be no more time to choose. We'll get to a place where there will be no more time for options you are either in or out and as god's word so clearly says it let the spirit and the bride say come let those who thirst come god says come So in this moment, if you've never trusted and believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm gonna pray a a simple prayer that just puts into words what God's word tells us of believing and trusting in Christ. And if you've never, if you've never trusted Him as Lord and Savior, I just encourage you to just silently pray this prayer with me today. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And today I believe Jesus is the only one who can save me. I believe that he is your son. And I believe he died and rose again. So today, Father, forgive me of my sins. Save me today through your son, Jesus. Today I believe thank you God for saving me with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed around this room if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart to God's with no one looking around would you just slip your hand up so I can see you and I can pray for you today if you prayed that prayer wherever you are in this room like yeah man, I meant it I believe it I pray it I prayed it today and it's changed I know that like wherever you are just slip your hand up around this room Father, today you see the hands, you see the hearts. You see the impact that comes not from words of a preacher but from the word of God. And so today I pray that for those who made this decision, God, I pray that you would lead them and guide them and help them. Lord, as you tell us here twice in this passage in Revelation chapter 22, blessed are those who believe, blessed are those who do, blessed are those, God, we thank you that you've already promised to bring amazing blessings into their life not monetarily not in a in a way of a tangible sort that we can see here but in a far greater sort the promise of eternity and God we're so thankful that's what you give so God today I pray for those who made that decision many others who need to others who who need to get right in their relationship with you God to get back on track God I pray this would be the moment of decision as we come to the end of your book that we come to the beginning of a journey that is running after you and God for that we give you praise in Jesus name we pray amen the friends our altar is open as it always is We have staff members here, we have volunteers here who would love to talk with you and to pray with you. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or you want to talk about what it means to live a life for Christ, maybe you want to come and just kneel here all by yourself and pray. That's great, that's awesome. The altar's open. Don't leave here unless you have made things right between you and our awesome, sovereign God. God bless you guys and we'll see you next week. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We wanna help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, Well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.